Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today's Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. This is episode 3,149 of the Survival Podcast. I like numeric patterns. It would have been great if we could have ended the week at 3,150. It just seems like a cool number, but... Uh, That will come on Monday. What do we got today? Expert Council Q&A as we've moved the Expert Council show back to Fridays. Here's what I got for you today. Uh, one less segment than normal because Sean Mills' segment is topical and timely, and because it's complex, it's really long. We haven't heard from Sean in a while, so give him kind of a double spot. We'll look at it this way. Starting out there, we got the Ron Paul Liberty Highlights. And Ron Paul tells us how the drive for power broke The shackles of the Constitution. That's what, the Constitution is supposed to be a shackle on government. It's not, it's not supposed to be something that empowers government over the people, but restricts government in regard to the people. And it doesn't really do that anymore. It really doesn't. Ron will talk about that. Dan McAdams will talk about how Liz Cheney's campaign of hatred backfired. Uh, I've been listening to some of the never-Trumpers and a lot of the leftists saying, you know, this shows that the, the, the Republicans are a cult or whatever, a cult of the orange man. I don't know, maybe. I, my problem with Liz Cheney was she became obsessed. It wasn't that she was opposed to Trump. It's like, And I think the main reason given by intelligent, articulate voters in Wyoming as to why she had to go was because she was not working on today. She was obsessed with yesterday. And that's not what people send congressmen to, to, to D.C. to do. Um, and Chris Rossini will talk about, you know, if inflation is really at zero, which is the claim the White House made last week, what are they going to say next? The national debt is zero, too? Uh, and then Sean Mills, like I mentioned, now we – I kind of really uh, eviscerated the nonsense with the Inflation Reduction Act yesterday and asked some questions about you know, electric vehicles and all, like how we're going to actually charge them all. But Sean's actually going to talk about all of the subsidies, the solar subsidies in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. And you might be like, is this like, are you doing a three, you know, a 180 on this or anything, Jack? No, no, because here's how I, I feel about it. If you're going to buy a thing anyway, like if you want a thing, and there's a government rebate subsidy, et cetera, use it. Now I've had some people who say, if you were a real anarchist, you wouldn't do that. I'll tell you how this works. It's called accounting, and, and, and I have never done a full accounting of it, but I know that it's lopsided enough that I don't care about it right now. I have paid the United States government and various state governments lots of money my whole life. When we get to a point where I go to a net zero, meaning that I've gotten as much back as they've taken out of my pocket, we can have that conversation until then. Every dime that I can reduce in my life at their expense, I will do so because all I'm doing is get my stolen money back. And there might be a way here with some of your goals of you know solar, independence, things like that, to get some of your damn money back. So it's a, a complex one. It's about 16 minutes long. Sean will have that for you. Nick Ferguson will have thoughts on invasives. Uh, we're talking about invasive plants here. Doc Bones will have thoughts about lightning risks and injuries, as some people don't think about, but there's been actually a lot of lightning injuries and fires started by lightning, including some called dry lightning, which is exactly what it sounds like. There is no rainstorm, but there is lightning. 
Uh, I'll tell you, it, it strikes close to home sometimes. Um, when I was a kid, my grandmother was almost struck by lightning. Almost. It hit something on the roof, and it came through the hood over the stove. And she had a pot of water on the stove, and it actually burned a hole in the bottom of the pot, shorted out the stove, burned the, it was an electric stove, burned out the electric stove element, and all the water that was in the pot went out the hole and like exploded all over the house. She probably would have been hurt more by the scalding hot water than anything else, but she had just turned around and walked away when it happened. And then, about six years ago, my neighbor behind me, a gentleman named Dennis, He had lightning strike his house, shorted out his whole electrical system somehow. Uh, like it wasn't like gone forever; it had to be completely gone. But like it just screwed everything up and blew his chimney. Like he's got a you know wooden fireplace chimney, blew it to shit. That's what it hit was it hit the chimney and like blew rocks everywhere. So it can happen. Uh, Tim Cook has ten questions that new generator owners should be thinking about, and then I'm answering a question from an audience member. I've said that there's a housing market crash coming. And the question is, when the housing market tanks, will it, stop, will it tank the stock market too? The answer is maybe. But I don't see it in the same way that I saw it coming in 2008, 2009. It's different. But it doesn't mean that the stock market won't tank. We have multiple possibilities. You could have the housing market tank the stock market. You could have the housing market tank and not tank the stock market. And this is the other option. It looks the same on paper, but the cause is important here. You could have the housing market tank, and you could have other things tank the stock market. So we'll kind of go through that mental exercise. And I'll tell you why I don't think it's going to be a necessarily the kind of corollary that we had last year, or last year, last recession, where the housing market collapsed the stock market in a lot of ways. I don't think it's going to be quite that direct, no matter how it plays out. All of that we have coming for you today, and uh, let's go ahead and jump on into it with the Ron Paul Liberty highlights. You'll hear them in order. Ron Paul, Dan McAdams, and Chris Rossini. There are people who have been throughout all of history who have seeked power, and they uh, seek to be the authority, and they want to hide from and reject and ridicule a higher law. Oh, that's, that's silly stuff. What substitutes for the authoritarianism of a few people telling the masses how they have to live and how they should be taxed to take care of those who run the, have the power, uh, it, it's the principle of voluntarism. And that means really voluntarism. You know, two, two individuals getting together, and as long as it's voluntary, There's no place for government to say who should get together and what their activity should be if there's no, no uh, physical violence. And it's no more complicated than that. I mean, if, if an individual uh, can be diverse on their own territory and do what they want, not hurt people, and if two people can do it, why can't everybody do it? Get the government out of our lives and let people assume responsibility because people are much more responsible for themselves than a lot of people believe. Now, the answers are there. They're not complex. Uh, and the biggest job we have is the people, since we have the majority of people, waking up and acting out and speaking and resisting the authoritarians that think they know what's best for us.
If uh, your driving force is your hatred toward somebody, eventually you're going to come up short. And in this case, it looks like her hate campaign uh, and her her idea of using that to become a unifier, yeah. you know, bring everybody together. Well, a lot of Republicans hate Trump, and yeah. uh, and independents hate Trump, and, uh, and the Democrats really hate Trump. And I'll just bring them together. Well, it looks like that dream may have ended, even though she might not have awakened yet. She's yeah. not awake yet to that fact. No, it was a stunning defeat by any stretch. I mean, she was widely expected to lose. <clears throat> you know, there were some desperate last-ditch measures. She she dug her dad up and put him on the screen. Uh, that wasn't very effective. She started begging Democrats to vote for her because it's an open primary in Wyoming. That didn't do very, very well. But, in fact, quite a few did vote for her. So if we put up this first clip, this is the results in the primary in Wyoming. Harriet Hageman... 66.3, Liz Cheney, 28.9%. She lost by almost 40 points. I don't know if a sitting member of Congress who was not in jail or what have you has ever lost by such a massive, massive amount. It's, it was shocking and stunning. And in fact, someone on Twitter pointed out that she lost even worse because there was a lot of Dem crossover votes for her in Wyoming, the people who wanted to to hurt Trump and voted for her. So among Republican actual voters, she did even worse than this. But of course, by uh, as with all the neocons, uh, when they have a massive loss, when they have a massive failure, as they always do, they view it as a success. <laughs> and she's riding high like she's ahead of the party now. She's, <laughs> right. she's, her, she's her party. Her own party, yeah. So it's it's pretty remarkable to watch. Today we're covering the fantasy land called Washington, D.C. And, you know, a few days ago, Daniel on the show put up the video of Biden claiming that the inflation was 0% in July. It was 8.5%. But he said zero. And and I thought to myself as I'm watching, oh, it's just another one of Biden's mistakes. But then I see the vice president says the same thing. And then the press secretary says the same thing. And then I went on social media and all the people who just repeat what they're told are all saying it was zero. I mean, fa how fascinating. Recession is gone. There is no recession. Can't even define it anymore. And inflation is zero. So I, my first question is, I wonder what's next. Is the national debt not $30 trillion, but $0? Is that what we're going to hear next? I mean, it's a total joke. And it makes you wonder if inflation was really 0%. Why create the so-called Inflation Reduction Act in the first place? You don't need it. You know, why spend another $700 billion? Spend another 700 plus billion that you do not have that will cause prices to rise even further. So, you know, we're chasing them around with logic and truth, and they are not interested at all in logic or truth. And this is very bad for the American people as a whole. You know, it's bad for the people that go along with it and just repeat what they're told to repeat. Your cost of living, living is going to go up, too, along with everyone else. The price of food, the price of gas, the price of all of your other bills, too. So the consequences of these very real policies are going to create very real economic pain. And this is just very bad for all of us. So I've told people, don't celebrate too hard getting rid of Liz Cheney because she made something like $34 million in six years. Uh, and she'll either go run in a purple state 
or she'll go run as a Democrat, you know, conservative Democrat somewhere that that plays well, or she'll go through the revolving door to the lobbyist deal and make a couple million years a lobbyist, which is probably what she'll actually do. She'll write some books. She'll be on some TV shows. She'll be a token conservative on on uh, MSNBC or NBC Hee-Haw or whatever. Uh, you know, that's that's what she'll be, and she'll be just fine. And her family's worth like billions, so she's going to be okay. And she's going to do better than most of the people celebrating the fact that she's gone. But <laughs> it's still funny. I'm sorry. It is. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Um, and Dan was saying he wasn't sure. I can tell you for a fact. I checked it out. No sitting member of the Congress or the Senate has ever lost a primary as badly as Liz Cheney did. It is officially the the worst loss, including if they were in jail or dead. That's how bad it is. It is the worst loss by a sitting member of, of, of the Congress in their own primary ever. And it, it I think it is less that she voted for impeachment and she's on the January 6th committee. It was her only thing she's talked about since it began. And it does show you that there is some level of freaking common sense left in the country. Because even if I, if I believed everything the media said about Trump, and I don't, because if you do, you're dumb, right? And even if I played in their circus, and even if I voted, and even if I believed in the ass clown political circus, even if I did, and I thought that he was as bad as she said he was, I would have still voted against her if I was voting in the Republican primary in Wyoming because you're living in yesteryear. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, dumbass. So that, I think that actually hurt her more than her stance. Overall, there were 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump in the House. Eight of them lost their primaries. Two of them didn't. And I'll tell you why they didn't. Because they weren't running around talking about nothing but this. The woman comes off as a completely incompetent moron. With, I feel like somewhere in all this, it's not about what Orange Man did or didn't do in regards to the thing that she's on. Somewhere in all this, she became deeply offended, affronted, upset, insulted by the... This is like personal. It's not about doing the right thing. And it's good to see somebody do something like that and get it really shoved up their backside. Because I'm going to tell you what the left will do to Liz Cheney. They'll do what they always do to Republicans like her. They will make her a hero for a moment, and then they will slaughter her. And it could happen to a nicer person. But, yeah, she's going to be okay with her tens of millions of dollars. Moving on. Um, I think the Inflation Reduction Act is stupid. I think it doesn't do what it says it does. But if you're going to be doing things with solar and other forms of alternative energy anyway... If you can get the money, get the money. Here's someone that knows all about this stuff because he works in this industry directly, uh, Sean Mills, who we haven't heard from for quite a while. Again, it's going to be a long segment, about 16 minutes long. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Mills of HackMySolar.com, 
And today I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the new Inflation Reduction Act, or whatever they're calling it, where Congress has put in a significant amount of money to combat climate change. And a lot of that money is in the form of tax incentives for people who are going to have rooftop solar or wind turbines. And there's also some consideration from domestic manufacturing that could help keep the price of imported modules down. I personally think that the ship has probably sailed for the United States being a major producer of photovoltaic equipment. We decided we weren't going to do it, and we have allowed the rest of the world to get so much further ahead of us that I really don't see the manufacturing side of this deal spurring a lot of domestic investment. I can see potentially some expansion to existing facilities, uh, maybe some things where they're bringing in robotic equipment uh, to help reduce labor costs and allowing the uh, government to help subsidize some of that, things that we're going to do anyways. Uh, but I don't think that United States is going to become this huge uh, producer of photovoltaic equipment. So um, that being said, if you read how the tax incentives for manufacturers are structured, it looks like somewhere around 10% of the total cost of manufacturing will end up being subsidized by the government if the panels are built in the United States, if we're just talking about photovoltaics. Um, so there might be an opportunity for a company to import a significant amount of raw materials and assemble them and still be eligible for these credits. Um, you know, obviously they're going to have to kind of work around, um, you know, the text of the bill to identify where the opportunities are. Uh, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not going to go read 700 pages of an amendment to a 2000 page bill. Um, but I will go look for the things that are relevant to the things that we all do every day and see if there's an opportunity where there's going to, you know, create a win for us. So I think what's really going to happen is that um, these um, tax credits will help to keep the price of imported panels down uh, because they know that the gap is smaller. So that's still a big win for us. Um, the big impact I think you're going to see is the investment tax credit has gone back up to 30% and will stay there for 10 years before ramping down. Uh, so typically they would extend this thing every two or three years and it would have a ramp down. So now they've bumped it back up to 30 and it's going to be there for 10 years. And that means things that are installed or purchased today in 2022 or back on January 1st are eligible for that 30% tax credit with a couple exceptions. Uh, now, this credit applies to a wind turbine, for example, or a solar panel, and everything that's connected to it that can be reasonably justified as required for the system to function. Uh, so that includes the mounting components, that includes permitting, that includes the cost of labor to do the installation, as well as all of the uh, cost of the system, including the inverters, batteries, and things like that. Now, what's new in this law is standalone battery systems are now eligible for that same 30% tax credit, but that doesn't begin until 2023. Uh, so that means that if all you were putting in was a battery backup system without solar or wind attached to it, it was not previously eligible for any tax credits. Uh, but beginning on January 1, 2023, the battery, the charger, inverter, any other related components will be eligible for the tax credit, along with anything you spend on it, like permitting, labor, etc. The only qualifier here is that it has to be at least three kilowatt hours of battery backup. Uh, to put that in perspective, anywhere that you're buying a 48 volt, uh, 100 amp hour um, battery, a single battery for about 1500 bucks, 
um, you're going to be good to go. Now, there's a possibility that you might be able to go ahead and buy those components, put the system in next year, and you might still be eligible. Again, a lot of reading and a lot of lawyer speak to, to work through. But what I can tell you with certainty is that if you buy that system on January 1 and you put it in at any point after January 1, everything is eligible for that 30% tax credit. Um, so also new, heat pumps, heat pump uh, water heaters or biomass heaters that are to put into place after 2022 will be eligible for this tax credit. Again, it, you might be able to buy the stuff this year and put it in next year. I'm not sure on that, but I do know that if you buy it next year and put it in next year or any time over the next 10 years, uh, you'll be eligible for that credit. Um, if you need to adjust your power distribution panel or add circuits up to 200 amps to support these new um, high-efficiency electrical heat pumps or other systems, that, that work is also eligible for the credit. Um now the amount uh, uh, the amount for the equipment is related to or I'm sorry the amount of the equipment related credits is capped at 1,200 per year, but there's no aggregate maximum. There used to be a maximum, so you could do a project each year. So year one you might switch your water heater out to a heat pump water heater and uh, get the credit, and then year two you might change a heat pump and so on and so forth. Um, there is a one billion dollar grant for the REAP grant program, uh, which is to put renewable energy on agricultural properties. So if you're an eligible ag producer, this grant can take care of up to 50% of the system cost, and then you would get the tax credit on the balance. So theoretically, you could max out at 65% of the original installed cost, or for every dollar of original installed cost, you would pay 35 cents uh, after you got your tax credit. Um, again, I don't know what defines an eligible ag producer, and those are grants, so you have to apply for them, but a billion dollars is a lot of money. And if it's something you're going to do anyways, why not have the government pay for some of it? Uh, there's also a $4.3 billion grant for the HOMES program, which is homeowners um, uh, you know, doing uh, retrofit projects to their houses for energy efficiency. Uh, if you do a retrofit project that models to save 35% or more, you can receive 50% of the project costs up to $4,000. So, for example, if you were to add some insulation in the attic of an old house and could have someone create an energy model showing at least 35% of savings, half the project is paid for. Um, if it's 25 to 35% savings, it's still 50%, but the cap goes down to $2,000. So, again, if you're going to do these projects anyways, there's an opportunity to get some um tax credit uh, after the fact. Um, now, the HOMES program is going to rely on state implementation, so it's likely a longer implementation that's going to have more red tape because you're adding the federal requirements to whatever the state requirements uh, are going to be. So what's going to happen is the government's going to take this $4.3 billion and set it aside. States are going to apply for it after they've developed their program. The government, federal government will give it to the states, and then you'll be have to meet the requirements of both the state and federal uh, program in order to get the money. But, again, um, if you already do, might as well go get it. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, there's also going to be some uh, tax credits for things like geothermal and biogas systems. I'm going to dig into those later this year. I wanted to focus mainly on the wind, battery, and photovoltaic uh, in, in this answer. But, uh, but, yeah, it's a great time to get started. Um, 
I think you're going to start seeing some clamp down on supply chains in terms of people are going to start buying this stuff up. So now that we know what the law is, it hasn't been signed as of yet. Today's August 15th as I'm recording this. But I think if you're ready to do a project, now is the time to go ahead and start getting your components because uh, you've got several years to put the components in place and you can still take the credit for the components the year that you buy them. But, um, yeah, I would, I would, I would, we're not there yet, but I would think, um, potentially, potentially as some of these utility scale projects, uh, get funded with these higher, um, investment tax credits that you're going to start seeing some supply chain get, get sucked up. So, uh, now is probably the time now to the end of the year, maybe the first half of next year, uh, before we start seeing some supply chain issues. But the other side of that is, is, you know, available labor is going to be a, a little bit of cold water, too. So you might have these big projects get funded, but until they have the labor to put them up, um, they're not really going to be able to move forward. And, and permitting is still very, very slow. Permitting takes about three times as long as it did in 2019, and we don't see that uh, getting any better anytime soon. So with that being said, guys, if you have questions, get them over to me. I will get them answered. I know I ran long with the answer today, but there's a lot to cover and a lot of it applies to the things that we're all doing. All right, next up, let's hear a little bit about invasives from Nick Ferguson. Hey, Nick Ferguson here with an answer on invasive plants. I apologize if I'm not on point today. I'm on a consulting tour to the East Coast and visiting some new friends, Zek, Pete, and others. Um, home soon, and I'm already whooped. And this audio is probably going to be terrible because I'm not traveling with my microphone. But today we have a question on Autumn Olive. Hey, Jack, this question is for Nick Ferguson. I'd like to know his opinion on the usefulness of the Autumn Olive tree within a permaculture regenerative landscape. Details, I've located a few Autumn Olives on the property, and there seems to be a range of opinion about their role in the ecosystem. Some people see them as invasive. Others appreciate them for their fruit production and as a nitrogen fixer. If they're useful, then I'll want to propagate them <clears throat> and install into the food forest zone of my property. If not, I'll tackle them like I do with the bread for pear that's taking over fallow fields. Thanks, Carrie. Aha! Well, the ubiquitous question on invasive plants. Um, I personally take the perspective of the late Bill Mollison, who was of the opinion that all plants are native to planet Earth. Um, <clears throat> I mean, honestly, I think it's far more appropriate to think about a plant in terms of what it is, how it fits into the landscape, and honestly, how I can bend it to my will and to a productive purpose. So before I answer about Autumn Olive, let's explore this for just a minute. So let's take the Bradford pear, for instance, because you said you're dealing with it. It's an awful invasive. Or is it? What's an invader doing? It's dominating the landscape. So these plants are really good at surviving in your ecosystem. This could be good or it could be bad. It normally means that there's a lack somehow that the invader is sweeping in to take up or take the position of something else that's lacking. So if we think of the plant in terms of how we dislike it or how awful it is, we're certainly going to miss out on the opportunities. 
Bradford pear is fantastic pear rootstock. Did you know that you can just top work that tree and graft onto it some productive pear cyan wood right onto the tree trunk? You literally just lop it off at around 12 inches off the ground and cleft graft new scion wood onto it. <clears throat> pear is seriously one of the easiest things to graft. So make a pear orchard to feed livestock or um, make fuel. So <laughs> about the autumn olive. It's terrible. It's an awful plant. I'm kidding. It's actually a really great plant. I have several planted on my property uh, with the intention of propagating and planting lots more. I mean, they're hardy. They produce a fruit that, while astringent, is pretty tasty. And if nothing else, it makes sugars that you can feed to your chickens. I mean, the fruit's just going to fall off and fall on the ground, and the chickens are going to go pick it up and eat it and turn it into fat or energy. I look at it like this. If I don't pick something nice to grow there, nature is going to pick something for me. So why not pick something that will fix nitrogen, provide ecological resiliency, be tough as freaking nails, and hard to kill? I like biodiversity. So adding things that fruit, even if that fruit isn't the best, unless I'm really cramped for space, is always going to be a net positive in my book. So anything that brings life to the property is always welcome. Plus, they're a really attractive shrub. If you trim it yearly, you can turn it into a nice little bush that can replace a normal landscaping plant. So if you've got, you know, more suburban-looking landscape and you want something that can be productive but also can be pruned to look nice, there you go. Um, and, uh, you know, back to the whole fuel thing, this one can actually make something to flavor your pear-based fuel. Uh, I mean, not that you would want flavor in your fuel that you're using in your in your car. I don't know why I'm suggesting that. Um, <coughs> uh, so look at that. All of a sudden we have synergy. Two awful, horrible, invasive species turned into something positive. Uh, it really is all in the way you look at things. Flip the script. See if you can make a negative into something positive. Personally, I think everyone should probably have a handful of different autumn olive in their orchards or food forests just for the ecosystem niche that they're going to take up, not to mention all the other benefits. Because most people, they're just looking for things to plug into little holes in their environment. This is just one of those that's going to take almost no maintenance, going to be bulletproof, really easy to grow, really hardy, fixes nitrogen. Because, you know, remember... If you don't put something there, nature will. And normally, you're not going to be nearly as happy with what nature picks. So, I think that just about does it for that answer. In other news, um, I'll be up in Tennessee to teach at both the Living Free in Tennessee SOE Tactical Self-Reliance Festival uh, at the beginning of October. And again, at Nicole's workshop, <clears throat> where I'm teaching a food forestry class at the end of October, and I'll likely have a trip or two to Texas in September, one up to the Missouri-Arkansas area, and then another quick trip out to South Carolina again. Um, I'm probably full up through November, but, um, you know, if you're in Texas, Missouri-Arkansas, 
uh, and you shoot me an email, I might be able to fit you in. I can't promise anything, but I can't fit you in if you don't send me an email. Um, and then, of course, um, I normally take a couple consults on my way out to Jack's to teach in November. Um, and, of course, I'm going to be teaching there like I always do. So I hope to see some of you guys at at least one of those workshops. And you know what? I'll even answer two questions from Jake. I'm Nick Ferguson from Homegrown Liberty. Do good things. Great stuff from Nick Ferguson. Uh, now I've got one from Doc Bones, as we talked about in the intro segment, about lightning and concerns with lightning and potential life-altering or life-ending injuries from it. Hi, Joel Nimdy here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website doomandbloom.net. Wildfires continue to rage throughout the American West, and although most wildfires are caused by humans, lightning strikes have been identified as the culprits for some of this year's biggest blazes. Many of us associate lightning with rainstorms, but dry lightning appears to be involved in causing the latest fires. Certain storms produce thunder and lightning without any appreciable rain, as moisture evaporates before reaching the ground. These are not uncommon in drier areas of the country. A lightning bolt is a discharge of a large amount of electricity in the atmosphere or between the atmosphere and the ground. Air normally acts to insulate the positive and the negative charges in clouds. At one point, however, the difference between the two is so great that electricity is generated and released. The temperature of a bolt of lightning can reach several times that of the surface of the sun. Most lightning events occur high in the atmosphere within a cloud or from cloud to cloud. Cloud to ground strikes, however, are more responsible for injuries to humans. In recent years, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, has reported dozens of annual lightning strike fatalities. Although the death rate from a lightning strike hovers around 10%, the grand majority of survivors do suffer some form of lasting ill effect. What about thunder? Thunder is a sound caused by nearby lightning as it passes through the air. The discharge heats the air to as high as 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit for a fraction of a second, causing air to rapidly expand and then contract. This produces a sound wave that we hear as thunder. When you listen to thunder, the first rumble is created by the part of the lightning channel that's closest to you. Continued rumbling comes from portions of the lightning that are farther away. Now, can you tell how far away a lightning strike is? If you hear a cracking or a very loud booming sound, well, that means the lightning was very close. More of a rumble, it was probably several miles away. To hear thunder at all, the flash has to be probably within about 10 miles. As the speed of sound is about 343 meters per second, a space of about five seconds between a flash and associated thunder equals about a mile. Count the number of seconds and divide by five to calculate the distance to the lightning strike. There are a number of ways in which a person may be struck by lightning. Direct strikes, a person struck directly by a lightning bolt, that person is usually out in the open. The electricity moves along the skin and across the body's cardiovascular or nervous systems, causing burns, but cardiac arrest from the current in the body, that's more likely to actually be the cause of death. Ground strikes may occur also. When lightning strikes, say, a tree, energy travels outward along the ground. This is known as ground current. Anyone near a lightning strike could be a victim. Matter of fact, this form of lightning strike causes the most injuries and deaths. A side strike can also occur. That's more commonly known as a side flash or a side splash. 
It occurs when lightning strikes a taller object, say, again, say a tree, near the victim. Some of the current jumps from the original target of the strike, the tree, to the victim, who's usually a very short distance away. That's why you shouldn't take cover under a tree if you can at all help it. A conduction strike can also occur. Lightning can travel or be conducted along long distances in wires and other metal surfaces that help provide a path for it to travel. If you're in contact with the wire fence that lightning strikes some distance away, you might be affected. Inside, anything or anyone connected to wiring, plumbing, or other metal surfaces could serve as a conductor. And then there are streamer strikes. Streamers aren't as common a cause of lightning injury, but are still dangerous. As the downward moving electrical charge, called the step leader, approaches the ground, electrical streamers are produced that rise from ground-based objects, even a person. If a person's involved, they could be killed or injured, even if the streamer didn't connect with the step leader itself. The effects of lightning on the human body vary based on the amount of current traveling through the body. You might see cardiac arrest or irregular beat patterns like arrhythmias, respiratory arrest or lung inflammation, ruptured eardrums, deafness, eye damage, blindness, burns, mental changes such as memory deficits or sleep disorders, nerve damage such as numbness or pain, and much, much more. Let's talk a little bit about lightning safety. When thunder roars, go indoors. It's important to realize that being outside is dangerous whenever a thunderstorm is in progress. If you can hear thunder, you're in danger of being hit by lightning for up to 30 minutes after the last rumble. Get inside a sturdy building or a metal top vehicle, windows up, as quickly as you possibly can. Strive to avoid being the tallest object in the area. Even when there are taller objects like trees or utility poles, stay away from them. Lightning will likely target them especially if they're isolated. Avoid touching metal. It doesn't attract lightning, but it conducts it for 100 feet or more. Once inside, stay off computers and other electrical equipment. Avoid touching plumbing like sinks or faucets. And stay away from doors, windows, and porches. Don't lean against anything metal or concrete. Lightning can actually travel through any metal wiring or bars that even could be in concrete walls or the flooring. Cardiac arrest is the most common immediate cause of death. This person needs first aid immediately. Call for help and begin CPR. If there's an automated external defibrillator available, use it. Get the victim into a building if at all possible because lightning indeed can strike twice in the same place. If thunderstorms are in the forecast, postpone your outside activities. There are circumstances, however, where you might be caught outside and unprepared for a lightning storm. In these cases, leave high ground like ridges or hills. Don't take cover under isolated trees. If you're in the middle of the forest, you can't avoid the trees, but stay near the lower trees if you possibly can. Avoid rocky overhangs or cave entrances as shelters. Someone at the entrance could form a conduit between the cave roof and the cave floor. The same goes for the covered porch of a house. Stay away from conductors like lakes, streams, or other bodies of water. Avoid lying flat on the ground, but stay in a low crouch with as little of your body touching the ground as you possibly can. Don't touch barbed wire fences, power lines, or anything else that conducts electricity. If you're in a group, some say to stay 10 feet apart. This actually may make an individual more prone to being struck, but it lessens the likelihood of multiple casualties and increases the chance of having uninjured rescuers at hand. Hearing about a person struck by lightning may be shocking, but not as much as if you were the victim. Be prepared to make wise choices whenever there's electrical activity in your area. This is Joe Alden, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. 
Thanks for listening. When I was listening to that, I had another flashback of a lightning thing. I remembered uh, there's a, a a guy named Daniel Brinkley. Some people think he's a fraud. Some think he's legit. He's supposed to have near-death experiences after being struck by lightning. But what is legit is he was struck by lightning, and he was actually struck by lightning while he was on the phone, and the lightning came through the phone in the days where phones actually plugged into the wall. I don't know why that came up, but it did. Next up, I got 10 questions for new generator owners from Tim the Toolman Cook. Hey, guys. Toolman Tim here. Coming back at you to answer some questions and do some segments for the expert council. So let's dive right in. This week is 10 questions to ask yourself before buying your first generator. A lot of people have been out there really worried about uh, rolling blackouts and brownouts this summer. So I've been getting a lot of questions about how do I buy my first generator. So first off, remember, any generator is better than no generator. It's a good spot to start. And a generator that runs is way better than a generator that doesn't. So first off, the type of generators. We've got a standard, an inverter, and a permanent. The standard, they, the pros, they tend to be the least expensive. Those are the ones you see with the open frame design. They tend to offer more wattage than inverter generators, but they're heavy, they're loud, they use a lot of fuel, and sometimes they have what they call dirty power. Now, if you're looking at inverter generators, they tend to be quieter, they tend to have cleaner power, and they tend to be a little more reliable, but They're more expensive, you get less power for the same size, and there tends to be less selection overall. And then third, you've got your home, whole home generators. They'll basically run anything, including your central air. A lot of them will come on automatically when the power goes out, and they don't need to be set up or moved around when they're being used. But they're a serious investment, they're way more expensive, and then you have to have somebody come out periodically and service it. They tend to use a lot more fuel, and you need to have a lot of fuel storage on hand. So then, next thing you got to look at is brands. Uh, first bit, I call them the expensive and quality. Those two, I say, are the Honda and the Generac. Then the middle of the road are less expensive, but a still good quality. You're dealing with Furman, Champion, Westinghouse, Predator, Sportsman. Then the least expensive and okay quality, those are the ones that you see. You don't necessarily recognize the brand. They tend to be any kind of store brand that you're going to see at big box stores, hardware stores, farm stores, and on Amazon. So question number one, what is your budget? Buy a cheaper new one of a lower quality than a used one. If this is your first generator, buy new. Stay away from used generators when you first get started. But know how much you can reasonably spend without extending yourself. Know how much you want to spend on this, but don't spend out of desperation or fear. Buy it on sale. Use your rebate points from Costco, that kind of thing. That's what I did. Try to stretch your dollar the best you can, but don't overspend simply because you're worried you might need a generator. So next, what do you want to run with your generator? Do you want to just run some lights, TV, modem, fridge, freezer, or sump pump? Or do you want to run an entire central air unit? Do you require clean power? Are you running sensitive electronics with an inverter generator? Next, how much power do you need? Some generators list running watts, some list peak watts, so pay attention to that. Remember, you don't need to run everything all at once. You can cycle through a bunch of things. Bare minimum with a generator, you're going to want 1,500 to 2,000 watts. That's going to allow you to run anything that you can, any single item that you can plug into a 15-amp outlet. Not going to run your dryer, your stove, or your central air. Next, you want to ask yourself, what kind of fuel do I want to handle? Do I want a single fuel or a multi-fuel? Do I want to use gasoline, propane, natural gas, or diesel? Gasoline, in general, is the hardest to store. If you've got a large propane tank on your property or natural gas hookup, 
You should really consider that. Diesel is great if you already have diesel, and it tends to be much easier to get during a power outage. And then you can look at multi-fuels. You can get gasoline, propane, propane, natural gas, or all three together. What about storage space for your generator? Do you have a dedicated spot to store your generator? You got a garage, a shed, a porch. Um, you know, you can move it outside if you need to run it. Uh, but if it has propane or natural gas, you might get away with at least storing it in a porch. What about storage for fuel? Are you allowed to store fuel where you live? Does that even matter? <laughs> How much do you need to store? 10 gallons of gas per day of runtime is a good rule of thumb. Is noise going to be a concern? If it is, you might want to choose an inverter generator. They're quieter. Or build a sound enclosure to keep the noise down for your neighbors. Is it important to have electric start? Spoiler alert, it absolutely is. Do you have a hard time pulling, pull starting things? Get yourself a push start. Get yourself a push start, period. And generators tend to be some of the hardest things on the market to, to pull start. How often does the power go out in your area and for how long? Once a year or less than four hours? Then a small 1500 to 2000 watt might work for you. Multiple times per year or um, longer at a time? Then you probably want something more in the eight to 10,000 watt range. Uh, or even a whole host automatic backup generator would be great. And finally, what do you be using the generator for? Is it going to be strictly a backup power generator? Um, then a lesser brand might be okay, one of those middle-of-the-road ones. Uh, you're going to be using it for camping, then get an inverter generator. They tend to be easier to carry, and they're much quieter, so you're not going to upset your neighbors. You're going to be using it for a food truck or construction, running it all the time. Then you want to buy the best brands out there. Something like a Honda or a Generac will help handle that abuse. So if you're like a lot of people this year and you've been a little bit nervous about rolling blackouts, Take a minute, take a breath, relax, and then start doing your research. Don't just buy something because you're scared and you want to. If you got questions, send them to Jack. He will send them along to me. Send them to me directly. Doesn't matter. I love answering your generator questions. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, easiest way is to run by toolmantim.co. And you can come by Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Mountain Time for the Workshop Podcast. we got a whole bunch of interesting things on the go, talking about repairedness, uh, home maintenance for and help when there isn't help coming around the corner for you. We have great interviews Sunday night, and I'm just in the process of launching my Tactical Patch of the Month Club. So come by, check that out. I think you're going to be rather excited. So guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. All right, so that brings me to, uh, to 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 my segment today. This was an interesting question that came in, and it's something I really hadn't been thinking about probably as much as I should. And I'll start out with, as a redneck duck farmer economist uh, and sociologist, I have a pretty good track record and a pretty good crystal ball. In this case, my crystal ball is hazy. If it was the magic eight ball, it would say something like, you know, ask again later or cannot predict now, concentrate and ask again. It would give one of the indeterminate answers. Fortunately, I'm a little bit better than the magic eight ball, and I can explain where we're at and, and, and how I'm thinking about this right now. So one of the dangers, and, and John Pugliano, by the way, somebody did a clip on one of his recent shows about uh, be careful what you're investing in right now uh, if you're basing it on what did well in the past. And he was talking about how all of the things that did really, really well during COVID, 
like the meme stocks and like the stay-at-home stocks, like Peloton and uh, the conferencing stocks and stuff like that. Like they're all kind of not so doing so great right now. And whatever does break away in the next cycle won't be the same thing that broke away in the last. And that makes a great point because that's how you have to be careful with these things like real estate market crashes. So last time, the real estate crashed because of defaults. And that created a massive cascade. And what I mean by that is it wasn't like the real estate market was massively overpriced everywhere like it is right now. People did not leverage into real estate at ridiculously low interest rates like we have right now. We didn't have kind of a massive artificial run-up uh, due to shortage of supply because there was less building and less materials. Like there was, a, It's a very different scenario this time around. It's the same but different, man, like we always say, Tommy Chong, right? Um, what happened in 08, and in 07 it was already starting to bleed, which I knew when I, when, I, when I started this show in the summer of 2008 and I was saying it's about to happen, you could see it because the blood was already leaking from the wounds under the bandages. It was the, we called it the subprime mortgage mess, right? And there were tons of people who had been given loans that should have never been given loans. All right? And these people began to default in mass. And then sooner or later, you end up at a point where the banks are over their heads because they're not receiving money from the, those who promised to pay. The banks began foreclosures, and this can work if, you know, 1% of homes go into foreclosure every month. The market will, will, will handle that. But when we started having numbers of like 3-5% of all mortgages go underwater monthly, then it created a surplus of housing at a time when there was no one to pick up and buy it, which sent the banks into a financial crash of their own, the banks needing to be bailed out. And the people, as more and more were going into defaults on their mortgages, couldn't sell. Like one of the things that, that makes real estate in most times a pretty safe investment is if you don't overpay and you can't afford your house, you can sell it recoup something in equity, and go start over. But that, that door got shut hard on tons of people. Millions, really. Well, this then caused a complete panic in the economy. And interbank lending seized up. And then this caused a panic in cash flows through small and medium and even very big businesses. And at the same time... This all cascaded into things like, you know, Ford and GM going near bankrupt, and 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 GM taking the bailout, and Ford not. So that was a confluence of events, and it was deeply tied together. Like Ford didn't almost go bankrupt, and Chevy didn't really go bankrupt if it hadn't been for the bailout because of the mortgage mess. But it didn't help the situation. But most other things that were directly tied to the seize up in, in, in money. And then we had the TARP bailouts and 
George Bush destroying the free market in order to save it and destroying what was left of his legacy. Uh, Obama coming in and continuing it. We had the $700 billion bailout. It doesn't seem that big now anymore and all the wasted money that went with it. And the weakest economic recovery ever from something that bad. And it took like four years to really get things going again. This isn't that. It doesn't mean it's less bad or worse. It just means it's not the same. We're in a, t a totally different situation this time. There's there's always bad mortgages out there, but there's not that many. And it was the other there was some I left out there. It's also very important to consider here. A, a huge amount of these shitty mortgages had been packaged up and resold into various investment vehicles that had gone into all types of retirement accounts and things like that. So this was, again, another cascading component. So there were people like a teacher's union in Massachusetts that were actually holding the underlying mortgage of these subprime mortgages trying to make enough interest to actually pay out the ridiculous pension funds. So, I mean, it was catastrophic. We don't really have that this time. There's some REITs out there and all in the investment world that are tied into some pensions, but it's not the same. What we have today instead is we had a number of years with ridiculously low interest rates, which I didn't complain about when I got one. My interest rate on my home is under 3%. I'll take it, but I also know it's bad. Like, if, if, I've talked about this before. If you go back and look at historic mortgage rates, there's been really stupid high. You know, like during the end of the Carter and beginning of Reagan, like 18%. that destroyed the real estate market. Lots of millionaires became liquidated during those years. Um, and we've had some pretty low ones. But sub-3% on fixed 30-year loans. It's like the only time in history that I'm... I could be wrong. I think it's the only time in history it's ever happened. Conventionally, we usually had mortgage rates somewhere between like 45 and 7%. And if you think about what you're asking a lender to do, tie up capital for 30 years on a long amortized loan, that's a pretty reasonable interest rate to expect. You know, I remember in the, the, the late 80s when I opened my first bank account making like 8% on a save. It was like 7 on a savings and 8% on a CD. Right, I mean, if you're going to have that, then you're going to have a mortgage rate that's somewhere in the seven to to eight to nine percent range. Think about what interest rates pay you for a savings account today. It's almost like you pay the bank to hold your money for you. And 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 so we've had this ridiculously heated up, overinflated economy, and a lot of that money went into housing. Because what happened was people got thousands of dollars in all the bailouts. A lot of people didn't need it. This is something that people really have not fully grasped, I don't think. There were a lot of people, they didn't lose their jobs, and they still got you know over $10,000 worth of stimulus money. Well, all of a sudden people that, that never really were thinking that they could buy a house were like, I, I, I could buy a house? Look at this low interest rate. I can get a loan. And I've got a down payment. The government gave me a down payment or gave me enough to now add it. And, and they started by, and it just white hot to the real estate market. Now we have this overheated economy. We have inflation. There's only, and, and, and we've already cut interest rates to practically zero. I'm talking now, now the interbank lending rate. 
the, you know, okay? Not what you pay. And so the Fed's out of things it can do in the negative direction. It's only got one place you can go to the positive direction. But this was like the shock of World War One in Europe. And well, what I mean by that is, I remember who it was. It was one of the famous generals or, or admirals or something like that from, from World War One in Europe. And he said, what could these people have known of war who have enjoyed a century of peace? So it ain't been a century, but we have had this ridiculously long, easy money, cheap money, easy to buy, consistently number go up real estate market. Like over a decade of number go up. Number go up again, number go up again. And then the cost of buying going down while the number to buy, the, the, the amount you could sell your home for went up. And now the Fed is like, well, we have to, we have to slow down inflation, so the only way to do that is to raise rates. And at the same time, so many people that have wanted a home have bought a home. I'm like, that's it, I'm out. And now we have the inventories on homes coming up, and we have the building supplies, like we just talked yesterday, aluminum shortage, right? But yet at the same time, we have a surplus of materials, lumbers dropping in price, etc. And this was all predictable. So we have this complete weird inversion in the real estate market. But now what we have is to buy the same house for the same money as a year ago, is 30 to 40% more expensive if we're judging the mortgage payment. Because the interest rates have gone up, so the, the, the P&I payment is higher. But at the same time, the, the municipalities, all the counties and cities, have gotten greedy as crap and reassessed the home values based on all these inflated sale prices. And even if you have a relatively lower tax footprint, because your, your house hasn't been assessed up. When it sells, the new person that buys it, it will go up for them. And so between the rise in property taxes from the underlying value of the home, increasing that percentile yield, plus the increase in the mortgage payment, you're in a situation where what you have now is houses can't move like they were before. And people can't get the credit that they could have gotten a year ago. And that all spells doom for the housing market in the short term. It actually spells correction, which is a great thing for a buyer if you can still buy, but many of them can't. Does that make the stock market crash? Not really, unless it cascades into other ways. If it starts, like, if you end up then beginning to have defaults on mortgages, then we go back to something that looks more like 08. Now, does that mean we won't have the stock market crash? Uh, no. Like, recessions are bad for stock markets in general. Do I think that you'll see that happen this quarter or this year? No. Could there be some serious correction? Yeah, but not, like, doom and gloom. Ah, not 08, 09. Right now I'm saying that, but my crystal ball is murky, right? It's a little hazy. Try again later. I'm not 100% sure, but that's where I feel. But you know, going into 2023, you keep having reports like Target coming out going, our profits are down 90%. Well, 
okay, then why am I holding target stock? So you get a sell-off in a particular sector. Well, that tanks that sector. Well, what other sector does it drag? You see what I'm saying? We can have both of them occur, and they're not directly correlated. So I don't know if that really helps. The answer is I don't know, but I feel like that's the general direction, that there's going to be some major come-to-Jesus moment in the stock market, but it's probably not near term. And the other thing that I see being different this time with the housing crash is, you know, they keep talking about a soft landing for the economy. I think that ship has sailed. Very, very bumpy would be soft now, okay? Um, however, the real estate market may be more of a long, slow landing. That it, It's not going to, like, it's just going to crash overnight, which is what happened in 08. It was like, it was okay one minute, and it was blood the next. I think this is more of an unwinding that will go over time. And when th even when things are bad, the longer they kind of happen over time, the less of a shock there is, and the more people are able to adapt and, and, and absorb the damage, right? So think about like in a video game, or like a, a role-playing game where you have a certain amount of damage you can absorb. You got player characters with a large damage, uh, large ability to handle damage. Oh, and they're not being hit all at once. They're having time for some level of recovery before the next strike. Something like that. I never really played those games that much, so I'm doing my best for those of you that are in that space. Uh, but the shields maybe last a little bit longer if the the battle is is softer but goes longer term. Yeah. All right, with that, guys, I am wrapped up for the week. I will be back next week with a whole new series of shows. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this week. I know I did. It was a pretty diverse week. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, I've, I've, I've got some really big news about what's coming, but I'm going to hold it until next week. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend. I know I will, and I will catch you on Monday with another episode of the Survival Podcast. It'll be 3150. Won't that be cool? You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Revolution is